Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Uh, You can visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com to find out more. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Dot com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll discuss the matter of Floyd George's death in Minneapolis. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Always look forward to our discussions with Andy. We'll be talking about some of the current cultural events that are occurring and their meaning as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, Well, his latest is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. We talk a little bit about the uh, uh, issue of contact tracing. It is June the 10th, and on this day in 1752, Benjamin Franklin decided to fly a kite during a thunderstorm and collected ambient electrical charge in the Leyden jar, enabling him to demonstrate the connection between lightning and electricity. He became interested in electricity in the mid-1740s, a time in which uh, much was still unknown on the topic and spent almost a decade conducting electrical experiments. He coined several terms used today, including battery, conductor, and electrician. He also invented the lightning rod, used it to project building, protect buildings and ships. He was born on January the 17th, 1706, in Boston to a candle and soap maker named Josiah Franklin, who fathered 17 children and his wife, Abiah Folger. Franklin's uh, formal education ended at age 10, and he went to work as an apprentice to his brother's James Printer as a printer. In 1723, following a dispute with his brother, Franklin left Boston and ended up in Philadelphia where he found work as a printer. Following a brief stint as a printer in London, Franklin returned to Philadelphia and became a successful businessman who publishing ventures included the Pennsylvania Gazette and Poor Richard's Almanac, a collection of homespun proverbs advocating hard work and honesty in order to get ahead. The Almanac, which Franklin first published in 1733 under the pen name Richard Saunders, included such wisdom as early to birth makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Whether or not Franklin followed this advice in his own life, he became to, uh, came to represent the classic American overachiever. In addition to his accomplishments in business and science, he noted he's noted for his uh, numerous civic contributions. Among other things, he developed a library, insurance company, city hospital, an academy in Philadelphia that would later become the University of Pennsylvania. Most significantly, of course, he is one of the founding fathers of the United States and had a career as a statesman that spanned four decades. He served as a legislator in Pennsylvania as well as a diplomat in England and France. He is the only politician to have signed all four documents fundamental to the creation of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, Treaty of Paris, and the Constitution. Franklin died at age 84. On April the 17th, 1790, in Philadelphia, remains one of the leading figures of U.S. history. All that in juxtaposition to what's happening today with our cultural. It's so, it's so sad. I wonder if someday Franklin's statue will be torn down and maybe the Liberty Bell as well. 
Well, financial markets sold off yesterday with the Dow dropping uh, 300 points. Futures were down substantially, about 150 this morning, but they've come back to about even. We'll see where the market goes today. Uh, George Floyd. Yesterday, hundreds of mourners paid their respects to the 46-year-old father whose death sparked a nationwide movement against police brutality and systemic racism, whatever that is. You know, the thing that uh, concerns me is that I can only understand myself and uh, what I think. What you think and who you are, I try and find out. I'm interested in you, but nevertheless, I'm uh, contained in my own. I'm an individual. I'm not part of a group. And the systemic racism of things that people are trying to promote uh, make no sense to me at all. Nevertheless, Big Floyd grew up in Houston, Texas, was a high school football star, and was reportedly the first among his siblings to go to college. He eventually moved to Minneapolis for a fresh start. Family and friends remembered him as a gentle giant. In a video message at the funeral, presumptive Democrat presidential nominee Joe Biden offered his condolences, saying justice for Floyd would lead to racial justice in America. Right. Floyd, who cried out for his mother as he was dying at the hands of law enforcement, was buried next to her after a private funeral. Rest in peace, George Floyd. We'll be talking more about the whole situation uh, with Bob Levy and, of course, uh, Andrew Joppa as well. Well, the president of the New York Police Officers Union condemned the widespread criticisms of law enforcement that have been espoused by lawmakers and the press during the de- after the death of George Floyd. Boy, this was an impassioned... Uh, if you haven't seen the video, I encourage you to take a look at it. It's New York Police Benevolent Association President Mike O'Meara. He said in a press conference Tuesday that officers are responsible for 375 million in- encounters and interactions with individuals in a given year, most of them, he claimed, are overwhelmingly positive. He said that all officers are being smeared because of the actions of one officer in Minneapolis. We all read the papers in a, uh, that in the b- black community, mothers are worried about their children getting home from school without being killed by a cop. What world are we living in, he says. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, he said. O'Meara added that he and his fellow officers are not Derek Chauvin. Chauvin is the Minneapolis officer who knelt on Floyd's neck for several minutes, eight minutes and 46 seconds to be exact, prior to his death. Floyd's death triggered protests throughout the country against police brutality and racial injustice way out of hand. O'Meara said that in the development, roundly reject Chauvin's disgusting behavior and should not be compared to him. We killed someone. We didn't. We restrained, he said, later adding, everybody's trying to shame us, the legislators, the press, everybody's trying to shame us into being embarrassed about our profession. Well, he held up his badge and said that it's not stained by Chauvin's actions. He noted that many officers have been killed in the line of duty and claimed that the press was vilified officers and that legislators have abandoned officers. Stop treating us like animals and thugs and start treating us with some respect, he said. That's what we're here to say. We've been left out of the conversation. We've been vilified. It's disgusting, he said. It was really an impassioned speech, and I was so proud of him for making his comments. A 30-year career, and obviously impassioned about his profession and the work that he does. And by the way, homicides rose by 250% in Los Angeles, and the number of shooting victims rose by 56% during the week ending June 6th, according to the Los Angeles Police Department, the same week as Black Lives Matter protests and riots. The surge in deadly crimes in Los Angeles mirrored similar reports elsewhere in the country for the week uh, going through June 6th, when riots and looting exploded along peaceful protests against uh, 
and alongside peaceful protests against the killing of Floyd George. In Chicago, for example, May 31st marked the single deadliest 24-hour period in 60 years with 18 people being killed. Crime escalated in part because police who were normally been on patrolling neighborhoods were pulled off the beat to secure downtown areas and commercial districts targeted by looters. Boy, if there's a canary in the coal mine, that's it, isn't it? I mean, you take people off the, you take the police off the beat and what happens? Crime escalates and you've seen it in major cities across the nation. Well, fortunately, a new survey by National Sheriff's Association shows 8 in 10 Americans want to either increase or maintain funding to local police departments. According to the survey reported on the Washington Examiner's Paul Bettered, 53% said they wanted to see increased funding for law enforcement, while 26% wanted to keep spending at current levels. Only 11% want to decrease in police spending, according to the poll. It's uh, pretty amazing to me that uh, what gets all the attention? Well, it's, it's the uh, people who are saying get rid of the police, uh, defund the police, unbelievable. Tucker Carlson on fi- yesterday was on fire. His second consecutive life began his program uh, with a monologue protesting mob rule that appears to be overwhelming everything in our country. He revealed the monologue he gave a night earlier had also so-called left-wing mob coming to- for his program. However, he said that effort was indicative of something else underway in the country. Here's what he said. Minutes after we we said that, the mob came for us. The irony of ironies, they've spent the last 24 hours trying to force this show off the air for good. They won't succeed, thankfully. We work for one of the last brave companies in America. They're not intimidated. We're grateful for that. But the whole thing did uh, get us thinking that we should be more specific about who the mob is and what they're doing. What uh, are the people trying to take over the country, cancel our rights, eliminate our centuries-old-long tradition of tolerance, yes, tolerance, and free expression? The truth is, we often don't know their names. they mostly faceless political agitators who exist primarily online. They're trolls who thrive on cruelty, and yet suddenly they have immense power. Weak leaders now reflexively bow to their demands, no matter what those demands are, said Tucker Carlson. It was a great monologue, and if you haven't seen it, I just encourage you to, to find it and take a look at it, if you can, online. He was on fire last night, and he's absolutely right. Um... Unfortunately, I think the press is out of hand. They go for where they get the clicks, and they pay attention to this stuff, and it's uh, just a shame. And, of course, we've got political leaders, elected leaders, who are vowing for defunding the police. Can you believe it? What are they doing? We've got the inmates running the asylum now. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to be talking about the Floyd George matter. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Gulf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And great season of productions lined up. You can get tickets now by going to the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Chop, a professor at Mercy College. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's an author. He's also the chairman of a terrific think tank in Washington, D.C. It's the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. As always, great to be with you. Thank you, Bob. Hey, remind our listeners of the mission of uh, the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian uh, think tank, as you noted, in Washington, D.C., and we're devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. It's so, it's so interesting in these times that we see the, the confluence of events kind of closing in on our rights. It's such an important mission that you have. Cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, let's talk a little bit about the uh, George uh, Floyd George uh, issue. Big funeral yesterday. I think it was about a four-hour affair. And certainly is changing the dynamic of our culture right now. Did the policeman's action against George Floyd constitute murder? Well, from the videotape, it certainly seems to be uh, a case of murder. It's a grotesque and uh, repugnant act that should be punished uh, to the maximum extent allowed. I think we we do have to distinguish between the you know first degree murder is is premeditated where it's planned in advance. It didn't look like that was the case. Mm-hmm. 
second-degree murder, which is what he's now charged with, is uh, <clears throat> murder which is with intent and knowing that there's a high probability of of the end result, which in this case is George Floyd's uh, death. So that looks to be the, again, from the videotape, looks to be the correct charge. The original charge was third-degree murder, which is sort of the heat-of-the-moment uh, murder, and so they've upgraded that to second degree, which is knowing and intentional. Um, you don't have to, when they say intentional, it just means that you behave so recklessly that, um, and so, so much disregard for what might happen that it was the equivalent of intending the outcome. Right. Yeah, I just point out, of course, the obvious is that he certainly deserves it, no matter how heinous his act, deserves his day in court and everything's got, all the information will come out and uh, uh, a jury or a judge will make the decision on that. So was the policeman's conduct motivated, in your opinion, by racism? Well, <laughs> the answer is maybe, um, but I haven't seen good evidence on that uh, subject. I mean, maybe the policeman was just ill-trained. Maybe he was just a brutal person. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was mentally addled. Um, and maybe he was indeed a racist. Mm -hmm. So we're likely to find out uh, after we've learned about his previous disciplinary actions or we hear about past things that he said or he's written or after others uh, testify as to his racial views. Uh, but for now, we don't really know for sure mm -hmm. uh, whether the policeman would have behaved in the same appalling uh, manner, even if his victim had been, had been white. It's just not something that's been well investigated as yet as yet and again it'll all come out i'm sure in his trial do statistics suggest systemic police racism well we've seen these numbers uh, ad nauseum um, i think it's misleading to cite data showing that say 25 percent of the victims of fatal police shootings are black uh, even though only 13 percent of the population uh, is black um, there was a good article by Heather McDonald in the Wall Street Journal that she pointed out that in the latest year for which we have data, African Americans made up 53% of known homicide offenders in the U.S. and uh, commit about 60% of the robberies. Mm -hmm. So in, in other words, we shouldn't be surprised that 25% of police victims, fatal victims, are black when 53 to 60% of the violent criminals that police encounter uh, are black. In fact, we might have even expected a higher percentage of, of black victims. So again, we need more evidence on that topic, but I do think the evidence that's been bandied about is highly misleading, and um, we, we just can't come to conclusions based upon these uh, misleading statistics comparing uh, percentage of fatalities uh, versus percentage of the population. Yeah, so do you conclude, as, uh, as to police, what do you conclude about uh, racism in the police? Well, the obvious, I think, it's certainly true that some policemen, uh, maybe including the guy who killed George Floyd, is uh, a racist. It may be, even be true that there's systemic uh, racism in the police departments of, of some cities. But I think those conclusions, if they're true, uh, they're not justified by statistics that compare the percentage of victims versus the percentage of the population uh, that's black. So I, I think you could make a more cogent argument 
that the reason blacks commit a disproportionate number of violent crimes is in part uh, because of societal uh, discrimination. Uh, but, of course, that argument is far broader and far more generalized than these allegations of police brutality. And that argument also hasn't, uh, you know, isn't, uh, um, isn't uh, something that we've investigated thoroughly. But I do think that's a more cogent argument than the, than the argument about uh, percentage of victims versus percentage of population. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I think it all gets back to fatherless homes. I think 75% of the uh, black children are born uh, in single-parent families. And, yeah. uh, it, you know, that it's really, in my view, a cultural, uh, societal problem, but it goes far beyond the police. It's, it's really, you know, it, there's a big difference. Even when you have a bad father in the home, having a father makes a difference, and it's important to kids uh, when they grow up. And we're seeing the results of all that right now in our society. So what do you think we should do next? I think President Trump had a real opportunity to turn this into a, uh, an important inflection point, but I think he, he, he did not take advantage of that opportunity. He should have, in my view, announced that uh, he would establish a, um, a commission or a task force at the federal level to draft um, not, not rules, because the federal government shouldn't be passing rules for these states, but to draft recommendations. Uh, that the states could follow depending upon their individual circumstances. And among the recommendations would have been, first, to rein in this doctrine called qualified immunity, which exempts officers from civil lawsuits for damages. Um, and that, that, that is critical. And uh, the Cato Institute and the Institute for Justice have been fighting for many, many years uh, to do that. Second, uh, transparency. We ought to have the release of police personnel and, and disciplinary records so we can determine the cause of these actions. Third, and very important, these union contracts, uh, they, they borrow or they shield bad behavior and they discourage uh, citizen complaints. They ought not be permitted with, with, in contracts with police departments. Uh, the rules of engagement need to be precisely defined and limited. Uh, we, ought to, we ought to have... Uh, uh, de-escalation before the use of force. I think this no chokeholds is probably a, a, a good idea, and officers ought to be required to stop other officers from using excessive force. Importantly, we need to have uh, some fairly precise guidelines that for every degree of provocation, this is the appropriate action and the appropriate limit of force that can be used. And then finally, demilitarization. You know, we, we don't have to have the police departments traveling around with the uh, tanks and military-grade uh, equipment. So, you know, if there had been that kind of uh, pronouncement by the president, I think he would have diffused uh, a whole lot of the controversy that's uh, arisen. And let me add one other thing uh, that we've been battling for a long time that I don't think is going to happen, but uh, you really want to reduce the number of adversarial interactions between police and inner-city minority communities. What you need is drug legalization. Uh, yeah. That all in itself would make an enormous difference in the in this overcriminalization and incarceration rates and uh, and the the uh, statistical anomaly between uh, number of black people in jail and number of white people in jail. All right, so that's not an endorsement of uh, really uh, marijuana or you know marijuana use. It's an endorsement of people being able to make their own decisions and not having the state make the decision with regard to things it, like marijuana. Exactly. Yes. But, 
Bob, uh, it's just so well said. Of all the things you said, though, I would just underscore the importance of the unions uh, playing. Well, why do we have public sector unions anyhow? But that said, uh, the unions do so much to protect people who are uh, commit and continue to commit uh, problems. They make bad judgments, whatever it might be. And they come to the aid and have uh, police officers reinstated that shouldn't be on the force. So, uh, right, it's not just the police, too, as you point out. Uh, there's some question about public sector union contracts across the board, and this has uh, the political liberals, uh, you know, uh, on the horns of a dilemma. They're they're uh, hoist by their own petard. Yeah, my goodness. I mean, defund the police. Are you kidding me? We've got the right. inmates running the asylum here, Bob. Right. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website, Cato, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great discussion. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josepha Savaz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Lulubee's Diner, located right in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job for breakfast and lunch. Looking forward to meet our next guest there sometime in the next week. 
And uh, also, they support St. Matthew's House, great organization, uh, doing so much for the homeless and those in need. So uh, visit stmatthewshouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we have with us Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob, and I'd like to mention that the people at Lulabees are some of the finest I've ever had the uh, the pleasure of, of being served by it by Mike, so I just wanted to reinforce that. Uh, well, thank you for that, Andy. It's absolutely true, and the staff's been there for years. So, uh, Andy, <laughs> these are crazy times right now. I really was looking forward to getting your commentary and thoughts. Well, it's, it's a, a depressing time if I was to allow that emotion to consume me, and uh, it, it doesn't. I, I still feel uh, that I... Uh, Active activism in the sense of pursuing the defense of America is still appropriate and in the long run will be valuable. Uh, I'd like to point out between you and I, I've been on your show for the last five years. I think our only disagreement has been uh, on the issue of my pessimism versus your, your optimism. I, I would like to claim on June 10th, 2020, that unfortunately, Bob, I have won. <laughs> and, and I do say that sincerely. It's, it's an unfortunate victory, and I I, I hate to, uh, to claim that win, but uh, I think that's where we are. Yeah. Uh, my premise over the five years, it's had particulars, but it's been essentially built around, around culture. Uh, culture, uh, briefly, just basically is uh, social behavior and norms, and these norms uh, uh, codify into the acceptable behaviors in a society. And if we look at today's America and what are the norms that that drive this culture, Bob, I think we can look at a whole variety of words that uh, that could be laid against the the American culture as of today. I think it is uh, it is driven in many cases by terror or fear of of, of loss of lives, loss of income uh, because of any misspoken word. It's it's driven by in many cases lack of intelligence or ignorance, and those are different phenomenon. It's it's driven by. Uh, uh, a commitment to ideologies that are foreign to America. It's obviously driven by political correctness. And I think the overwhelming thing that, that, that drives our culture at this point is the total rejection of the concept of truth. Uh, I'll give you just a, an example. When I, uh, when I uh, weaken and actually talk to a liberal about the issues facing America right now and I bring up a fact, they reject the fact. They'll say something like, where'd you get that from, Chopper, from uh, Rush Limbaugh? Yeah. or some other variation of rejection of, of the basic facts. We can see this most prominently, I think, in the, uh, in the George Floyd situation. We can, uh, and these numbers have been repeated so often, I, I don't want to go into the specifics, but we can see clearly that there was an extremely limited number of, of, of shooting of unarmed blacks or killing of unarmed blacks. Only nine were recorded in, in, in 2019. Mm-hmm. If we look at the, the essential issue in the George Floyd situation, and I'll make the obligatory remark, no one should ever be killed in any manner inappropriately by, the, by a person in a, in a position of power. That, that's, that's obvious, and every American uh, accepts that. But this has been described as a, as a racial incident. There is no indication whatsoever in Chauvin's background or the other police who were associated with it, that there's any racism in their background. So this whole premise of, of the response to George Floyd and, the, uh, this, and the, the phrase, it's a somewhat peaceful riot. I never understood what somewhat peaceful meant. Mm-hmm. But these riots that have created hundreds of millions of damage have disrupted 
uh, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives, have been driven by a premise that has absolutely no substantive uh, uh, validation within any number that can be presented. And yet those numbers are, are never alluded to, and if they are alluded to, Bob, they're rejected. So if we look again at culture, this is a culture that's in, uh, in, in, in dis- is, is disintegrating in front of our eyes. I saw, uh, policemen, uh, uh, in Cary, North Carolina the other day who were, uh, washing the, the feet of, 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 of black civil rights leaders while begging forgiveness. I've watched police prostrate themselves in front of the mob and in terms of begging forgiveness. I listened to Roger Goodell you know, uh, backtrack on his positions of taking a knee during the uh, the, uh, the national anthem and in front of the flag. Uh, uh, so there, there's so many of these specifics that can be alluded to. I, I think I don't have to. I, I think we know what we're seeing here. Lives are being destroyed from making the most uh, innocuous of comments. And, and there is no escape from this at this point. There's no locus of, of defense that exists in this society for anyone who was caught in this this horror show that's been created by the American political left. Yeah, well, uh, so well said, Andy. I will say this, though. I think what happens with the mainstream media, instead of reporting the news, wants clicks. They're looking for attention. This is what fuels their their uh, f- bottom line. And the consequence is they make every little, it's a tempest in a teapot in some cases, and they start to amplify the importance of things that are being said. Let me ask you a pointy question. Have you ever been stopped by the police? Um, uh, only when I was a kid. <laughs> well, let me, I I have for a couple of uh, violations, of speeding violations, and that kind of thing. I I've been stopped. Yeah, I mean, yes, that that type of thing. Absolutely. Uh, so my, my 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 response to that is, you know, when it happened, I was frightened and concerned. I wanted everything to go okay. I knew I I felt like I was in trouble. I felt like I, I'd. Uh, I'd violated the law or whatever it might be. The point being is, uh, I've heard people say, you know, we don't know what it's like to be black and stopped by the police. I would say back to them, you don't know what it's like to be white and stopped by the police. (laughs) Well, look, there's there's no doubt. And, you know, the police have, uh, and it's inappropriate to place any uh, preposition against any new person that you're meeting. But when you look at the level of violence directed at the police, uh, a policeman is 18 times more likely to be killed by a an African-American than yeah. an Afro-American by a policeman. So uh, in many cases, these police, unfortunately, I would add, uh, go into a new contacts with African-Americans, uh, very apprehensive, fear, fearing for their lives. And uh, they certainly can't impose that fear on, a, uh, on an innocent person. But I think I can understand if I was a, a policeman going into a life and death potential uh, that I would be apprehensive and perhaps in rare circumstances act in an inappropriate manner. Yeah. I think that's what we have seen with, uh, with Chauvin in, in, in Minneapolis. Um, he acted inappropriately. There is very little doubt about that. Again, to repeat, there, there's almost no, there's no documentation whatsoever that it was racist. And yet there's a general acceptance that this was a racially motivated crime again, with absolutely no proof whatsoever that that was true. Well, you know, and it's certainly the individuals may be racist, but the point is that uh, I can only experience what I experience. I can't experience what you experience or anybody else. My point is that in the Constitution says that we are individuals and we should be treated as individuals, not lumped in a group. And I think that's very destructive to our society. My point is that we should reject any kind of uh, claims about racism or anything like that, and we should focus on individual behavior, as should the police. 
I, I think that's obviously true, and I, I don't mean to diminish it by saying obviously, uh, but I think it is an obvious truth, Bob. Yeah. Uh, if we look at Black Lives Matter and their attack on on, on whites in general, they uh, they seem to be uh, suggesting they want social justice, they want people to treat it as individuals, just as you've suggested, and yet their unlimited assault on, on whites, particularly white police, is, is, is absolutely inappropriate because it violates their essential premise as far as we can determine. Uh, and again, it's anytime that happens anywhere from any direction, uh, this is going to be destructive to our society, and we're seeing, I think we're seeing the destruction of America unless in some way it can be reclaimed, and again, I don't see any locus for this uh, in America right now. I mean, Donald Trump is obviously the uh, the last man standing in the arena at this point. Uh, yeah. uh, he has very little uh, flight support anyplace else. We can look at uh, Republicans like uh, Mitt Romney and Col- Colin Powell. I-, I call a Republican. I don't believe he is. Uh, the whole McCain family, uh, George Bush. Although, let, let me su- suggest that it was reported in the in the media that George Bush said he was not going to vote for Donald Trump. And I've been reading recently that George Bush is pushing back against what might be fake news. He That's said he right. never said that, and he hasn't decided it. That oh, point. yeah, so interesting. Andy Jaffa again. Well, you know what? We've got to take a little break here, Andy. Can you stick around? I have nothing better to do, Bob. <laughs> okay, Andy. Thank you so much. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And yes, it's still a priority. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we're continuing the conversation with one of my favorite guests, Andrew Joppa. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for that comment, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. So, you know, uh, there's been a lot of things going on right now. The president deciding he'd like to bring the military in to provide backup in case the, gov- the governors need support. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't think he wants to. I think it was very clear that he says if necessity exists, right, that he will do that. And that's happened several times in our past, so it's not without precedent. Right. Uh, the way he has been uh, attacked on that, particularly by by military leaders is is an outrage. Uh, uh, I have a, a blog I publish where I refer to Jimmy Mattis as Snowflake. Apparently he was so offended at some point by, uh, by the president that he has felt it appropriate to not only attack the president on specific issues, but to use the fake news in the, uh, in the accomplishing of that. But it hasn't just been Jimmy Mattis. We, uh, we can see uh, President Trump being attacked by uh, former Admiral Mike Mullen, by uh, former Marine General John Allen, uh, and also he's being attacked by, by General Dempsey. And we, we can remember General Dempsey, perhaps, for being the, the general who claimed he could not get a support jet in from uh, Aviano Air Base in Italy to Benghazi to defend the, uh, the people fighting for their lives at Benghazi. Right. 20 hours. And General Dempsey suggested that was an impossible task for the American military. So he's being attacked by, uh, by uh, retired military figures. I make the point in one of my blogs, Bob, where it's been well identified that military leaders, especially at top of, top of command, are trained tacticians. They are tactically prepared, but they're not strategically prepared. They are not uh, trained to deal with the overall comprehensive nature of war. They know how to fight a battle, but they don't know when to go into a war or when to withdraw from that war. They are tacticians, not strategic people. And again, I think we can see this with the outrageous attacks on President Trump, uh, some with the substance, uh, substance in a sense that they're dealing with real facts. I disagree with that substance, but they're, they're facts. Uh, others are just uh, bringing in things that are made up news by the fake, uh, fake news media, and uh, I think it's an outrage that we see the president being attacked in this way. Bob. Yeah, and how about Esper, too? I mean, uh, the fact that, the, you know, his style is clear. He's an agitator. He is disru- uh, President Trump is a disruptor. That's his personal style. Some don't like it. Uh, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it, but that's his style, and he gets things done. So his first position is, you know, if you don't handle it, I'm going to bring in the military. Well, you know what? That's that's uh, let's call it influence with the governors. Uh, but he didn't do that, did he? He did not bring them in unless the governors asked them. He is following the constitutional rule of law. So it, it just it annoys me that these people think they have the power and the, the influence to uh, call out the president on these issues when he's handling it just fine. There's no doubt, and Trump, in uh, the three and a half years of his presidency, has continuously gone out of his way to stay uh, tightly constrained by the Constitution. Right. Uh, the fact that he may hint at something because he doesn't want to take any uh, any card off the table is not an indication that he's going to do something. And right. yet, the news media and his detractors consistently suggest that every time he suggests something, for example, the use of uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, that somehow he is demanding that this be done, that it's, uh, it's an, uh, a fait accompli that this will happen. 
so the president has been, been denied the ability uh, to um, control the, the circumstance by being denied legitimate access to the tools of the presidency. Uh, and I think that that has gotten his way. As far as Trump being a disruptor, if anyone can point out to me anyone throughout human history who has taken on a nation's serious problems without disrupting the powers that be that are supporting those problems, uh, then I then I will I will withdraw my comment. Trump is not a disruptor. He approaches problems, and those people that get in get in his way are those that gain by the existence of those problems. So no, I don't see Trump as a disruptor. If uh, he had just been allowed to pursue his courses of action as he as he intended, he would not have been disrupted. It is not Trump that is disrupted. It has been his opponents uh, as they seek to hold on to their power in the deep state. Well, well, then let me say it a little differently, Andy. What I, what I believe is that there is a status quo that has inertia, and that when he came in, he wants to disrupt the status quo, and they don't like it. They are reacting time and again to what he's dis- and and you know what? It's it's what we call draining the swamp. That's why that's what yeah, he promised to do. No doubt, and and tr- you know Trump Trump has has done that. Uh, I don't think it's been his attempt to divide us or be disruptive. No. Uh, but again, when you're dealing with uh, huge systemic problems that are seriously damaging this country, there is no doubt that the powers that be that gain from those problems to be, to be uh, redundant uh, will in fact push back. And it is that pushback that is being called as, as disruptive and divisive. Uh, I've seen him go out of his way a countless number of times to, to try to reach uh, accommodations uh, uh, by, uh, by by modifying his statements, and yet even those modified statements are rejected, and uh, yeah. there's nothing Trump can say or do that would not uh, generate attack. When Trump wins in 2020, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm saying that is a fait accompli, uh, certainly we're going to look at four more years of absolute social, political, cultural chaos. There's no doubt that they will continue this assault on the president, and as a result, the assault on America. Unless uh, we can, uh, we, he, I'm, I'm hopeful that on his coattails in this victory in 2020, he's actually to bring, able to bring along the House and the Senate as well. I think there's a possibility to really move the country forward, not with his presidential decisions and executive orders, but with real uh, reform uh, legislatively. Well, I, I certainly always admire your optimism. <laughs> um, um, if we look at, yeah, I hate to do this, but if we look at the national polls right now, uh, in, in all of them to varying degrees, Trump is is trailing Joe Biden, which to me is one of the most amazing statements a human being can make. That a man of great accomplishment, of great energy, committed to this nation, will somehow be lagging behind uh, a man like Joe Biden is just is just an outrage. In your in the support of your optimism, I would say that, that Trump is still showing some very strong numbers in the African American community. Yeah. I think that is a very strong sign, and uh, that may translate into some real things as the uh, the elections unfold. Well, no question. Plus, you also see the the enthusiasm and of support for the president. You know, his trip to Maine. Are you kidding me? I mean, he's got people lined up on the streets to to encourage him, and uh, that I think that's all over the nation. He's going to start these rallies again and uh you know, the, the, the support is there the real question is what's going to happen with the people on the fringes who are undecided i'm not sure there's many of those but uh, i'm hopeful that the president will win in 2020 and i i think it's a, a critical moment for us bob obviously absolutely andy i just all i wish we could continue the conversation i genuinely appreciate your your commentary here in the show thanks so much for joining us 
We will pick this up next week, Bob. Look forward to it. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobhardnethotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's been a very important part of the space program. He's also the author, has tremendous intellectual curiosity. He's written seven books, his latest, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's always a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. Well, uh, your latest column in Newsmax, and by the way, I just refer our listeners to Newsmax.com and uh, check out uh, uh, Larry's column, On Point. His latest is, Large-Scale Contact Tracing Poses Greater Dangers. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah. Um, the really the federal government's funding a lot of these, these uh, states to implement contact tracing for for the exposures to the COVID virus. And uh, on one hand, it sounds, you know, sounds innocent and thoughtful and so on. Um, it's of two types. One is, is they, you know, they have these 
contact tracers who would take a six six hour online course and and then they follow up with you know someone's they find you know somebody reports being infected then they they come and they or they contact them and then they want to know well who all have you been in contact with over the past couple of weeks and and do all of this, and so kind of like disease detectives as they're building so on. Mm-hmm. Thousands and thousands and thousands of these people are you know on the te- on the taxpayer dole. And then you have the apps, you know, the you, you have your cell phone, and they they you know they <clears throat> contact other people's phones and, <clears throat> and and keep track of of where you've been, and so you turn up with. A virus, or someone else turns up with a virus that that was in proximity to you, and so on. And it, you know, so so it does this data mining of all of all of your contacts, where you've been, and so on, with your location device, and so on. Well, you know, we're we use so many excuses to extend surveillance over ourselves and mining of you know of our, of our private information and, and private locations. And the notion that once you once you start this, once you create a new program, the notion is, is you know, it's for the virus. Well, it'll be for the next virus, and it'll be well in case there's another virus. Yeah, and and all of these capabilities, you know, add up and compound each other to the point that you know, we we are too ready to to give up our privacy. Yeah, in exchange for some. Some sense of security. Well, if we if they, we have it's one thing if you have just a few people infected. You're trying to you're trying to trace them down to the early you know, say the early instances of of a, of a some kind of disease, and, and you and you want to really nip it in the bud. But when you've got as we do today, you know, thousands of people infected, and then you you know in your app phone or somebody calls you and says, you know it's I mean, you're you're going to be constantly getting notices that mm-hmm. uh, you may have been exposed to a virus, self isolate for you know for two weeks, and and we're just going. I think it's excessive. I think I think it's scary because these, like the Patriot Act, these things don't go away once we install them. Well, I think that's such an important observation, Professor, because you know right now part. Privacy is at risk, and it's not only through the government programs; it's also through big tech, so to speak, and uh, what what they're doing. And, and uh, we need to be concerned about okay, this is going to be used for uh, COVID nineteen, but it could be used for political purposes. It could be you know, it's 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 eerily similar to the program that China has for, for social tracing of its people. Well, it's certainly not it's certainly not a stretch to think that, and uh, you know we see where. You know the South Korea; they they have this contact tracing and electronically and 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 so on. And and if you don't self isolate or whatever, you're you know you 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 know they say it's voluntary. It's not voluntary because you know it can be such that you're in order to qualify for a job, they require that you you be in these programs. You know, a position at a university or you know, it's it's just a way of really expanding this control and and we just sort of like the frog in the in the pan that's heating up you know we just say well it's getting a little warmer it's getting a little hotter but it's still 
we can tolerate until we can't jump out of the pan. And and it's it's happening on so many levels. Yeah. And and it's it's I think it's, it's terrifying. So in fact, it's been a kind of a theme of the show today to talk about what's happening in our culture right now. Some somewhat of a cultural revolution or cultural change, maybe not a revolution, but a change that's going on. And uh, I would I would uh, characterize it as scary and uncomfortable. I mean, we have the rule of law, we have our constitution, but it makes me wonder where we're going to be in five years with everything that's going on. Well, it makes me wonder sooner than that, with the November election coming up. Yeah, um, I think that'll be pivotal in terms of of where we come out of this, and and it's it seems to me very very concerning. That's a mild word of how how much we've been able to give away or willing to give away of our civil liberties. Very recently, technology is part of it. Yeah, but we also have the socialism that's been. It's gone from it's gone from being a word you couldn't utter to to people who are just totally ignorant of our history. It's so true, Professor. And and, and and you hear terms like racism and white privilege and these other things that are, and it, it, that characterizes it creates a narrative. And for whatever reason, uh, most people apologize for it and fall right in, fall in step, and it creates a tremendous amount of authority for people that really don't know what they're talking about. You know, we're, I come back to this. We are individuals. I have, uh, I, I like you, but I don't know what's going on in your mind, <laughs> and vice versa. We are individuals. That's the liberty that we were granted here in the United States to live out our dreams and pursue happiness. And to, to somehow characterize us as, as part of a group uh, and uh, make that part of our uh, the burden that we're carrying just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Well, I believe, and I have for some time, like climate change and everything else. These are not just these are not just things that come out of the ether. They're, these aren't just natural trends. These are orchestrated for you know for for control. Yeah. And we say, well, how did we come to think this way? It's because we're being propagandized to think that way, and it's and it's it's not accidental, you know. And then, you know that you know the climate alarmism, and you know that's really going after energy systems. None of this is just sort of accidental evolution of thinking. It's carefully orchestrated. It's enormously funded. Just um, like Black Lives Matter and these other things, they there are a lot of people who, who get who get drawn into these programs for 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 you know for very good intent and very good reasons and so on. Mm-hmm. But but they're being manipulated, and uh, sometimes they're being manipulated in very dangerous ways. Overall, certainly dangerous for the country. I would certainly agree with that, Professor. In fact, uh, I'm reassured when I hear the interviews. Brett Baer conducted a couple of interviews uh, with our Attorney General and his calm, cool, and measured approach to the law and how he's going to approach these problems is somewhat reassuring. I'm I'm just hopeful that uh, he's going to get to the bottom of this, and maybe to the top of this when it comes to funding all these uh, the things that are going on in an attempt to overthrow the country. Well, what happened with this death that provoked all of this was, of course, inexcusable. I mean, it was a, mm-hmm. it wasn't a case to where, like most cases, where police put themselves in harm's way and they have to make quick decisions, and they, and, and people inevitably, you know, get killed. We never know really entirely the full context. In the case of uh, of uh, uh, this, this recent incident, 
we, we, you know, it was senseless. It was inexcusable, and and it was painful to watch. You know, yes. the endless, you know, replays of this. So, you know, so it has been. You know, the police have been tarred with with this unfairly because this is clearly one one individual. Is the the other standing by should have done something too. So, but uh, but if you look at it in terms of overall numbers. Um, it's, it's such a rare event that doesn't make it any less heinous, but, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's going to, you know, I, I'm so, I'm so concerned about how, how morale must be so low in the police, within the police. I would agree with that. Professor, we'll have to leave it there, unfortunately, but I just genuinely appreciate your commentary. I remind our listeners, the name of the book is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Professor, thank you so you much. you can hear my dog. Yeah. My dog saying goodbye, too. <laughs> okay, thank you, Professor. All right, well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed Again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. We have great guests lined up for tomorrow, including Ellen Prager. She hasn't been on for a while. She's written a book on oceans, among other things, and she has a new book that's come out. She is a Ph.D. Uh, I will also visit with uh, Bill Barnett, a former mayor of Naples. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and Keith Flaw, co-founder of uh, the Florida Citizens Alliance. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>